Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. We all go a little mad sometimes. You know, I, I think I must have one of those faces you just can't help believing. What's up, you creepy fucks? Welcome to the Let's Talk Horror channel with me, BP, on this super special, super personal episode. Why is it so personal? Well, I realised when I sat down and, and was about to record that October is now over, Halloween's over, and it made me super sad. But then I was happy again. Why? Because I remembered that now it's November, it means that this show has now been going for two years which is absolutely mental i've been doing this i've been on this road through horror this journey through horror for now two years and that is all down to you sure look i can sit here i can press record and i can talk and talk i mean you know i can i could talk for hours about whatever film of the genre whatever person of the genre whatever topic we choose to do for the podcast I could sit here for hours, but you are the ones listening. You amazingly committed horror fans. You are all so rad and you are the ones that are listening. It, let's face it. If you do a show and no one listens to it, you can still enjoy what you're talking about, but you're still going to be pretty upset that no one's listening to it. And you are. And this show grows every week, every month reaches new audience and that is all down to your support all the sharing all the support everything that you do for the show that's what makes the show keep going and it honestly is there's not a day that i'm not grateful and appreciative of everything that you all do for this channel i normally would do that sort of stuff at the end of the uh, episode but listen look it is the two year anniversary and I wanted you to just really know how important this show is to me, but also how appreciative, as I've said, for all of you listeners and who keep coming back and keep sharing it. It's incredible. So thank you. But this is also special for more reasons. Why? Because this episode, we're going back to the roots of the show. We are going old school. This is a solo episode. There's no guests. It's just me talking absolute shit in depth and honestly about one of the most iconic films of all time in horror but just in cinema in general it is iconic so obviously we're going to be talking about psycho and the reason i wanted to do a solo episode about psycho is because this film is a personal film to me but it's also had a huge impact on my life for certain reasons in the film which is something i will talk about so let's get really honest, let's get personal, let's get right into this. Let's talk about Psycho. So Psycho was released on the 15th of September 1960, and it's directed by the legendary Alfred Hitchcock. It's starring Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, Janet Leigh as Marion Crane, John Gavin as Sam Loomis, Vera Miles as Lila Crane, Martin Balsam as private investigator Arbogast, John McIntyre as Deputy Sheriff Al Chambers. And to be fair, the list goes on. Loads of people keep popping up in this film. When you think to yourself there's hardly anybody in it, to think fucking otherwise, there's loads of people in it. This film sits at 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb, and it's at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. So with both of those scores, you can see that already, after 62 years, this film is still so highly regarded. And... I mean, it's fucking easy to see why. Now, before I get into my more detailed walkthrough and synopsis of the film, let's see what Google has to say. So Marion disappears after stealing money from her employer. Her lover and sister try to find her and end up reaching the infamous Bates Motel where they meet Norman Bates. Now, although that doesn't really give much away of what happens in the film, I mean, it's OK. It's the basic 
But I think Alfred Hitchcock himself would absolutely love that because one thing that you'll learn a little bit more about later is that he hated anything that would give away what happens in this film. So he would fucking love this synopsis from Google. So he'd probably be the only one that's happy with it. But so now, as usual, as I said, I'm going to go into a more detailed version of the events that take place in this absolute classic movie. So the film opens with some awesome looking titles and a proper in-your-face intro film. The film's only just started and you've already shit yourself. This is it's so in-your-face, it's mental. But then it's all off to peaceful Arizona. We get our first look at some of the characters of the movie who have quite clearly had a nice game of sex and they have fallen for each other big time. And already you were getting a lot of info and a lot of backstory for these two lovers. So off to work we go where we meet a creep, a rich creep, and a creep is exactly what he is. You know, the type of creep that calls his 18-year-old daughter baby. Like, that's how fucking creepy he is. So Marion, after having sexy time and getting chatted up by a grown-up and now rich Milky Bar kid, has been an absolute mug and she has stolen the money from the professional sleazy old-timer and he's packing her bags because she's out of town for a better life. But she gets busted on the way when she sees her boss and presumably she shits herself. Next, we see her car where she's been having a nap and it's being questioned by a cop who she, to be fair, she's given a hard time to be honest, so he's not messing around and does the necessary checks of course, but she pisses right off and is happy to see the back of the fuzz, or so she thought. She's now trying to get rid of the old car and get a new one, which is being made more difficult under the watchful eye of the law. Even the car salesman is thinking, hang on, this lady's pretty fucking shifty, but money talks, and now she's off again. What's clever is, you know, is that we have something now, and no one ever really does anymore, really, but over the top while Marion's driving, we have the story of what's happening back at her old job, narrated over top, and it's really clever, it's really interesting way of storytelling, you know, and telling, telling you what's happening while Marion is buggered off. <laughs> you know, while she's driving. It's it's a very interesting way of telling the story rather than showing you you're keeping the suspense on the road, really. And while Marion is on the road, it starts to absolutely piss it down with rain. So she has no other choice than to stop off at the Bates Motel. Here we are introduced to the very dapper, the very handsome Anthony Perkins's Norman Bates. He's sweet, he's dorky, and he's already pulling his best moves and asking Marion out for dinner. The boy does move fast. But while Marion is trying to hide the big dollar she's stolen, she can hear. I mean, to be fair, it's not difficult to hear because it's so fucking loud. But she can hear presumably an argument between a mother and her son. But dinner is still on the cards. And now we start getting a sense of something a little bit off with Norman as he's well into stuffing animals and we get a classic line, a boy's best friend is his mother. And he bloody loves his mother, but she for sure is getting on his fucking nerves because his cracks are starting to show even more as the scene goes on, especially when we get another classic line, we all go a little mad sometimes which, as we all know, is referenced by num Norman's number one fan, Billy Loomis, in Scream. Unfortunately, it now gets even creepier as Norman is a peephole, the dirty fucking bugger, and as a little gander at a half-naked Marion before heading home. So now, here we have it. One of the most iconic and important scenes in cinematic history. Not only because of how beautifully it's shot, or because of the iconic music known globally that feels like it's stabbing you in the ears, much like the stabbing that's happening to Marion. And not just that it's because it's showing blood and nudity, which for a film back in 1960 was not heard of and terrified audiences, but most importantly for the film's story progression. Hitchcock has killed off his lead halfway through the film, which is just fucking insane. And even to this day, is one of the ballsiest moves ever in film. It's a shocking scene, as I say, and in so many ways and for so many reasons. And it goes on for a very, very long time. 
Norman runs down from the house to find the body and is startled by his discovery, but needs to handle it, as I'm sure guests wouldn't be too happy sharing a room with a dead body. And these scenes are so well put together because nothing is really being rushed or hidden, which is, as I say, for, a t- for that time when this came out, audience must have been passing the absolute fuck out as they would not have been prepared for this. Norman puts Marion's body in her car and does a double whammy of evidence disposal by pushing her car into the swamp thing. I mean, I presume it's like a swamp, which sinks the car. But what Norman doesn't know is that the money is gone with it. Not that he knew anything about it anyways. So from that point onwards, we know that Norman is an absolute mental. So what's going to happen from here on out? Bearing in mind, we're still only halfway through the film. We are back at home with Marion's lover boy and now her sister and a detective who are both trying to find Marion. They don't know what we know, which is intriguing storytelling, but also super sad as we know of her fate already. Something they, as I say, they have no idea of. The detective is out doing house calls to all the motels around and obviously stumbles upon the Bates Motel where Norman is snacking on candy corn and he's doing pretty well after getting rid of a body. Has he done this before? But he is starting to crack under the pressure of interrogation and his stutter is coming out and the cop is starting to question things. And Norman is starting to get annoyed, but the PI buggers off before things get bad for him. But he's a dumb son of a bitch and returns to Bates Motel, where by now we know what's going to happen to him. He heads up to the house, letting himself in the rude bastard, but in a blink of an eye, someone goes at him with the speed of a hawk and kills him to absolute death. Now Sam, the boyfriend, is looking for Marion and they head to the sheriff's house where they give Norman a call on the blower, who flat out lies about what happened to the detective. Then we get a huge plot twist. Norman Bates' mother is dead. Shit has fucking got all kinds of fucked up now. So after this, Norman heads upstairs doing a weird little bum wiggle that makes me laugh every time. To be fair, I hope I look like that going up the stairs. But now he's talking to mother again and carries her to the cellar. So she can't be dead, right? Now Sam and Marion's sister head up to Bates Motel to get some answers and start snooping around and decide to tackle this shit head on. Sam goes to have a chin wag with Norman distracting him so Marion's sister Lila can head up to the Bates family home. Basically, everybody in this film is fucking sneaky. The tension is building and Norman batters Sam over the head and runs up into the house to search for Lila, who heads into the cellar where she sees Mrs Bates, who is definitely dead or in need of a good meal. This scene must have been an absolutely terrifying scene to watch for an audience way back in 1960 when this film originally came out on the big screen and witnessing this mayhem for the first time. Anyway, Lila screams her face off and Norman rushes down in his favourite dress with a big old knife, but Sam wrestles him to the ground while Norman is gurning something proper like he's just done 20 lines of coke. Then we get a conclusion to the film where the psychiatrist is telling everyone what the shit has gone on. Where we find out this is not Norman's first time killing. And Norman murdered his mother and kept her around for shits and giggles and has been parading around her as her willy-nilly being batshit crazy. This whole scene is very Columbo-like and a very long explanation. And it sort of feels a little bit out of place, but... It's, as I say, trying to explain the events of what's happened in this film. But basically, Norman is a mental and tried to be his mother after killing her, after having to deal with her shit for too long when his father died. So now Norman, in Norman's mind, his mother is alive, well, sort of, and comes out through jealousy or the need for survival to kill and has done so before. After this long explanation scene, Norman needs a blanket and now we're getting another iconic scene where he's sitting there alone with his mother's voice over the top and a quick glimpse of his mother's dead skeleton face over his face, which still to this day looks rad. And the film ends on a psycho and one for the ages. So that is my, as usual, as I do on the show, my slightly more in-depth synopsis than Google's about the events that happen and take place in Psycho. 
Um, you know, it, it's when you watch this film, I'll get into this way more. You are just in awe. You can't take your eyes off it. It's such a phenomenal piece of filmmaking of cinema. It's, it's just insane how good this film is. But before we, I start getting into in more depth discussion about that, let's get on to a little bit of production info about the film. So Psycho is based on Robert Block's 1959 novel of the same name, loosely inspired by the case of a convicted murderer and grave robber, Ed Gein. The comparisons of the story's protagonists, Norman Bates and Ed Gein, uh, were that they were solitary murderers in isolated rural locations. Each had deceased domineering mothers who had sealed off their room in their home as a shrine to them really nice right and dressed in women's clothes Gein was apprehended after killing only twice i mean only twice twice is twice too many it's two times too many <laughs> hitchcock acquired rights to the novel for nine thousand five hundred dollars which back then was a shit ton of money and reportedly ordered robertson to buy all or as many copies of the book to preserve the novel surprises another big boy move from hitchcock the screenplay is relatively faithful to the novel, with a few significant changes by Hitchcock and Stefano. The novel is more violent than the film. Marion is actually beheaded in the shower rather than being stabbed to death. Stefano found the character of Norman Bates unsympathetic in the book. He is middle-aged, overweight and more overtly unstable, so they changed the way the character was presented, especially when talks of casting Anthony Perkins for the role surfaced. Paramount did not want Hitchcock to make Psycho. Their official stance was that the book was too repulsive and impossible for film. They, in their own words, did not like anything about it at all and denied him his usual budget. In response to this, Hitchcock financed the film's creation himself through his own shamely productions. As a result of this, Hitchcock had to do a lot of cost cutting. He chose to film The Psycho in black and white, keeping the budget under one million. Another reason for shooting in black and white was his desire to prevent the shower scene from looking too gory, but still keeping the impact through the imagery shown on screen. To keep cuts down even more, and because he was so comfortable around them, Hitchcock took most of his crew from his television series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, including cinematographer, set designer, script supervisor, and first assistant director. He hired regular collaborators, Bernard Herman as a music composer, George Tomasini as editor, and Sal Bass for the title design and storyboarding of the shower scene. Through the strength of his reputation, Hitchcock cast Janet Lee for a quarter of her usual fee, paying only $25,000. Lee was his first choice and agreed, having only read the novel and making no inquiry into her salary to take the role. Her co-star, Anthony Perkins, agreed to being paid $40,000, but funnily enough, the that is the amount that Marion steals in the film. Both stars were experienced and proven box office draws. Filming began on November the 11th, 1959 and ended on the February the 1st, 1960. Nearly the whole film was shot using 50mm lenses on 35mm cameras. This provided an angle of view similar to the human vision, which helped to further involve the audience. Lead actor Perkins and Lee uh, were given freedom to interpret their roles and improvise as long as it did not involve moving the camera. An example of Perkins' improvisation and a personal favourite of mine is Norman's habit of eating candy corn. Throughout filming, Hitchcock created and hid various versions of the mother corpse prop in Lee's dressing room closet because he's a nasty fuck. Lee took the joke well, though, and she wondered whether it was done to keep her in suspense or to judge which corpse would be scarier for the audience. Alfred Hitchcock's cameos are a signature occurrence in most of his films. In Psycho, he can be seen through a window wearing a Stetson hat standing outside Marion Crane's office near the start of the film. 
So now let's go a little in depth here on one of the most important and standout scenes in all of cinema history, the shower scene. The murder of Lee's character in the shower is the film's pivotal scene and one of the best known in all of cinema. It was shot from December the 17th to the 23rd on 1959 after Lee had twice postponed the filming due to illness. To capture the straight on shot of the shower head, the camera had to be equipped with a long lens. The inner holes on the shower head were blocked and the camera placed at a sufficient distance away so that the water, while appearing to be aimed directly at the lens, actually went around and past it. The iconic soundtrack of screeching violins and cellos was an original piece by composer Bernard Herrmann, titled The Murder. Funny that. Hitchcock originally intended to have no music at all for the sequence and all motel scenes, but Herman insisted he try his composition. Afterwards, Hitchcock agreed it vastly intensified the scene and nearly du doubled Herman's salary, so to be honest, he was pretty fucking chuffed. But this scene is so iconic in showing more violence and horror unlike most cinema goers at the time had ever seen before, and it had some strange ways of completing the look and sound. The blood in the scene was Hershey's chocolate syrup, which shows up better on black and white film and has more realistic density than stage blood. And the sound of the knife entering flesh was created by plunging a knife into a cassava melon. A popular myth emerged that ice cold water was used in the shower scene to make Lee's scream more realistic. But Lee denied this on numerous occasions, saying that the crew was very accommodating using hot water throughout the week long shoot. And also all the screams in her scenes are in fact Lee's. It is claimed that despite its graphic nature, the shower scene never once shows a knife puncturing flesh. However, a frame by frame analysis of the sequence shows one shot in which a knife appears to penetrate Lee's abdomen, but the effect was created by lighting and reverse motion. Lee herself was so affected by this scene when she saw it that she no longer took showers unless she absolutely had to. She would lock all the doors and windows and would leave the bathroom and shower door open. Before production, Lee and Hitchcock, Hitchcock fully discussed what the scene meant. Marion had decided to go back to Phoenix, come clean and take the consequences. So when she stepped into the bathtub, it was as if she was stepping into the baptismal waters. The spray beating down on her was purifying the corruption from her mind, purging the evil from her soul. She was like a virgin again, tranquil and at peace. It's insane on how many levels this scene has broken boundaries and broken people's eyes and souls from watching this incredibly intense, perfectly directed, perfectly shot, horrifyingly yet beautifully scored and gut-wrenchingly impeccably acted scene, which is why I wanted to talk a little bit more about it as a standout. But let's face it, this whole film and every scene in it is basically a standout. So let's now move on to the score. Hitchcock insisted that Bernard Herrmann write the score for Psycho, despite the composer's refusal to accept a reduced fee for the film's lower budget. Hitchcock was pleased with the tension and drama the score added to the film later, remarking 33%, which is very specific, of the effect of Psycho was due to the music and that Psycho depended heavily on Herman's music for its tension and sense of pervading doom. The main title music, a tense and very unforgiving score, sets the tone of impending violence and returns three times on the soundtrack. Though nothing shocking actually occurs during the first 15-20 minutes of the film, the title music remains in the audience's mind lend intention to these early scenes. And I think it is definitely fair to say that the music for the shower scene is one of the most famous and most imitated in film and known around the world. When you hear it, you are immediately brought back to that scene from that film and it will always be imprinted in your mind, but it will also do exactly what was intended. And that's give you the sense of dread and pain in real life very much like Marion's demise in the film. The score 
is another example of the collaborative creative genius that went into this film and is one right from the start sets you on this roller coaster of terror. This film was a first on so many levels in regards to the sights that it would show the cinema goers. For 1960, there was some very unsettling imagery, but also this film was considered very taboo for the time. Hitchcock enforced a no late admission policy during the theatrical release of Psycho, which was unusual for the time. And there was also promotional material made with Hitchcock appearing on it to enforce this no late admission policy. Psycho was unprecedented in its depiction of sexuality and violence, right from the opening scene in which Sam and Marion are shown sharing the same bed with Marion in a bra. At that time, a married couple shown in the same bed would have been considered taboo. Another instance for the time was the gender non-conformity. The viewer is unaware of Bates cross-dressing until at the end of the film it is revealed during the attempted murder of Lila. In the closing scenes at the station, Sam asked why Bates was dressed that way. The police officer, ignorant of Bates' split personality, announces his conclusion that Bates is a transvestite. But the psychiatrist corrects him and explains that Bates believes that he is his own mother when he dresses in her clothes. The rating board were also upset by the taboo opening, so Hitchcock said that if they let him keep the shower scene, he would reshoot the opening with them on set to approve the scene. But because board members did not show up for the reshoot, the opening stayed and he got to keep the shower scene. But weirdly, one of the most controversial things that had most of the issues in getting it shown was that Marion was shown flushing a toilet with its contents. Not even any poop or anything, but just that it was just torn up notepaper being fully visible. Not flushing a toilet had never appeared in mainstream film and television in the United States at that time, which apparently was way too much for them to take over all the other things that happened in this film. So the film was released on June the 16th, 1960. And as mentioned earlier, it was the first film sold in the US on the basis that no one would be admitted into the theater after the film had started. Hitchcock did most of the promotion himself, forbidding Lee and Perkins to make the usual television or radio and print interviews for fear of them revealing the plot. Even critics were not given private screenings, but rather had to see the film with the general public. In its opening weekend, Psycho grossed $46,500. Remember, this is 1960 and a record 19,500 at the Baronet. Following its expansion the, the following week, it grossed $143,000 from five theatres. It went on to become the second highest grossing film of 1960 behind Spartacus, earning a box office gross of 32 million. Psycho remains the most commercially successful film of Hitchcock's career. When it comes to reviews, this iconic film that is so highly regarded as one of the greatest ever came out to fairly mixed reviews and a lot more negative than you would think. A lot of notable film critics of the time applauded its direction from Hitchcock for his risky decisions, as well as setting the benchmark for the future of cinema for any films to come after. But some critics were appalled with what was allowed to be shown on screen and questioning Hitchcock's taste and judgment and calling it his worst film ever. And predominantly, these poor reviews were from the UK. But the film was nominated for some Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Supporting Actress, but unfortunately did not win. But ultimately, with everything that they did get Psycho made to all the trouble that they had to go through, through Hitchcock having to fund the film himself and just trying to get everybody on board to create this film that he wanted to. Ultimately, we know how this film came out. We know a little bit more about how it came to be, but we know how it ended up and what a film it came out to be. So as usual in the podcast episodes, what I like to do is give you some facts after all the production info that you've just got. So here we go. Here's some facts about Psycho. 
Number one, Alfred Hitchcock withheld the ending of the movie from the cast. On the first day of filming, director Alfred Hitchcock made the psycho cast hold up their right hand and swear that they would not divulge any information about the film to anyone outside the group. On top of that, he also kept the ending from them until it was time to film. Number two, the studio thought Psycho would bomb. They were so confident it would not do well, they agreed to make Hitchcock's salary 60% of the film's box office success. But the movie ended up being a massive hit and Hitchcock earned 15 million. So basically, he fucked them right over. Number three. Hitchcock had a canvas chair with Mrs. Bates written on the back, prominently placed and displayed on set throughout shooting. This further added the enigma that surrounding who the actress was going to play Mrs. Bates. Four. After the film's release, Alfred Hitchcock received an angry letter from the father of a girl who refused to shower after seeing the film. But Hitchcock sent a note back simply saying, send her to the dry cleaners literally there is is this so, so fucking harsh and number five janet lee the actress who plays marion crane is the mother to another horror screen queen none other than laurie strode herself jamie lee curtis which always is just is so fucking cool that we've got two absolute legends of horror and two like really like the characters they play are so strong in in the films they really led the way for pushing female characters forwards in these different types of films and their mother and daughter how fucking cool is that but yeah i mean that's it you've got all the production info there's quite a bit there but as you can see they went through so much to get this film made and they finally made it and it happened and what a film then you've got a few facts as well but what i love doing on this show is talking about this film or whatever topic i talk about really honestly by giving you my own personal opinion and thoughts on it so here we go so like I said at the start of this episode, that I wanted to do a solo episode. I wanted to get the show back to its roots, to how it all began. And this is the episode to do that. Talking about Psycho is the way to do that. Reason being, is like I said at the start as well, this film is a real personal film. This film has impacted me in a way from the first time that I ever saw it that is, it just means it's such an important film to me. And this film in general is regarded very, very highly as one of the greatest films of all time. But I don't think it's as highly regarded as it should be. There's still a lot of people out there who haven't seen Psycho. Now that doesn't mean it's because they just don't want to, it's just because they haven't. But I will say to everyone out there, if you haven't seen Psycho, you need to see this film. And and we're going to go in depth on this discussion as to why, and I'm going to get into why it's a personal sort of an important film to me as well. So to really go sort of in depth on it, you really have to remember that this film came out in 1960 and to this day is still terrifying in its imagery in its sound in its direction in every aspect and this in 1960 people had not seen this before this film is a masterclass in direction in filmmaking alfred hitchcock is one of those directors that knows exactly what he is doing and his job as a director as a filmmaker is to push boundaries and to make films that are way ahead of their time and Psycho was one of those films. Controversy is something that Alfred Hitchcock dealt with with quite a few of his films and this film obviously more so than the others more than likely but that's one of the other reasons that he enjoyed making these movies because of that controversy because it means that he knows that he's films would reach that wider audiences because they would want to know what all the fuss is about so let's try and get into a little bit more in regards to 
psycho as the film and remember this is my own personal opinions uh, and thoughts on the movie i absolutely love how this film looks and if this film wasn't made the way that it was i don't think that we would have so much that has come after it and i genuinely honestly mean that if we start getting into the visuals this is one of the films where there's not a lot of close-ups and uh, anybody that knows me knows that cinematography is you know is so important to me i love aesthetics and visuals and psycho is one of those that is up there at the very top of what you have to do you know and is what is at the very best of what you can do visually this is a film that in 1960 was daring enough to show you everything it wasn't trying to cut away it wasn't doing really close-up shots alfred hitchcock was a proper filmmaker that knew that if you want to do close-up shots then that would be for dialogue between one person on his own or their own or between two people but he just wanted to show the audience everything, not just in Psycho, but all the time. He knew when to use the right equipment, the right shot, the right lenses for everything. And Psycho is the prime example of that, because like I say, so much of it had never been seen before. So I remember when I saw this film for the first time. So I, I saw this, and I'll get into this a little bit more later as well, but I saw this film a little bit later on, actually, I think I was probably about 14 when I first saw this film. Uh, and the, and funnily enough, it was another film that made me want to watch it. And that was Scream, because as we all know, if you've seen Scream, uh, Billy Loomis is Norman Bates's number one fan and actually quotes a line from Psycho. And then that intrigued me. I was like, well, now I need to go and see what that film is all about. And when I did watch Psycho, I was absolutely in awe, mesmerised that I had just watched a film from 1960 that literally I was sitting there not taking my attention away for a single second. I was glued because it's just filmmaking 101. It is filmmaking masterclass every single scene in this movie every shot looks perfect it is beautiful and that is when you know that you've done horror really well because this film is beautiful but yet still deals with horrific things that happen in it or horrific scenes and is showing visually nasty nasty things but yet you can't help but sit there and think of how incredible this film looks the fact that it's in black and white i think really really helps it and also is a testament to alfred hitchcock as a director and as a filmmaker because a lot of people are really put off by black and white films because there's no color it's a lack of visuals is what a lot of people find with these films but yet it isn't you can't take your eyes off this film because halfway through it it's already killed off the main lead it's, it's insane the events of this film it is just absolutely mental so visually there's you very rarely get better than psycho and it's as i said a filmmaking masterclass and it's not just the filmmaking from alfred hitchcock that makes this film it's obviously the score by bernard herman where even from the opening scene as soon as you turn this film on you feel like you're going to have a fucking heart attack the title sequence is already in your face if you've got this in like a cinema or a big fucking sound system you literally won't know what's hit you especially if you've never seen this film in fact every time obviously i do an episode i put whatever film i'm on you know obviously so i can write down these notes and, and everything like that and i every time i watch psycho i forget that this is how it opens with this absolute insane score that's so in your face that i was sitting there and nearly fell off the sofa it's so impactful and this is what it does to the film because this is what this film is is impactful no matter which way that you look at it every element is there to surprise you 
And that's exactly what this film does, not just through Hitchcock and not not just through Bernard Herrmann's score, but also through something else that I want to talk about and something that is also very personal to me. And that is the performances. So I'm going to talk about Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates a little bit later on, on more of a personal level. But in regards to the film, I'm going to talk about Janet Lee a little bit as well, who plays Marion Crane, which is insane because she has such an impact on you. She has an, such an impact on the film and she's only in it half, half of it. It's mental. It still blows my mind that Hitchcock will do that to his main character. But she obviously goes out in one of the most iconic ways and the most iconic scenes in cinema. So she must be pretty happy uh, about that. And it's also still absolutely mental to me that she is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mum. So she is almost like the original screen queen before Jamie Lee Curtis went and did it in Halloween. It's, it's still another thing that blows my mind and another amazing thing about this incredible horror genre. But with Janet Lee, what I absolutely love about her character is she is a strong female character who knows exactly what she wants. And that is something that was also fresh and new to films in 1960. It's something that hadn't really necessarily been seen that often. And the same with Anthony Perkins' um, performance as Norman Bates. And that is to say something I'll get onto a little bit more later, but we'll talk about it now. What I love about this film is that it plays these characters against types. So Marion Crane, Janet Leigh, normally those characters would have been what they call the Hollywood starlets back then. Something like Marilyn Monroe and stuff. Yes, there were serious films and those sort of female roles, but not that often back then. And this is what Alfred Hitchcock does so well in his films. He turns these standard characters who you think they're going to be and create something fresh, something new. And as I said, Marion Crane is a strong willed character who, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, tries stealing all the fucking money to try and have a better life and run away with her boyfriend. But once again, it's still fresh, it's still new. And she's not just some typical, you know, Hollywood starlet going around throwing her hands in the air and doing all that sort of stuff that you came to expect from films from the 1960s. Then you move on to Anthony Perkins' Norman Bates. And what is absolutely insane about this is that, once again, his type of character or male characters of that time, they're normally the big, tough guys, the burly men that you don't want to mess with, but they want to mess with you. That's what it was like, you know, they're normally there to defend the women, to, to, to stop harm coming upon them. But, you know, Marion in this film, she beat the shit out of anybody that came near her. So that's another thing to love about it. But with in regards to Norman Bates and Anthony Perkins, what I love is that for me, this is one of the first times that I remember someone creating a real character for a movie. Perkins, Norman Bates' character in this is one of the first times I remember where I had watched a film from obviously a time ago that was purely like watching a real person. So many of the films back then were, were actors who were very over the top and had certain ways of pronouncing things and so on. And you had, as I said, mentioned earlier, Hollywood starlets and so on. But Anthony Perkins is genuinely playing a real person. And that is absolutely one of the big driving forces for this film, because you believe that this person is and can become unhinged at any point. At one minute, he's very sweet and very humble. And, you know, you feel that he's just a nice boy. But unfortunately, there's that underlining darkness. And this is what Anthony Perkins plays so well and genuinely perfectly. It is the subtleties in his performance. It's the little stutters. It's the little lookaways. It's the little fiddling with his hands. It is the eating the candy corn. These are all decisions made by him to create this person, this personality, this character. And this is one of the biggest things that 
is so important to me as a film and I said I'd get on to that a little bit so anybody that sort of knows me or have listened to the podcast before or have seen any of the videos knows that acting and filmmaking is something that I have always wanted to do and still will always want to do in my life and I love it and I always consider myself somebody that in regards to acting I want to fully immerse myself in creating a person not necessarily a character I want to create a person and that is what Anthony Perkins did in this and that's why it is it is so his character is so successful it is it is one of the most groundbreaking performances that i had ever seen for a film back from that once again that time ago that it still stands up today as being one of the greatest of all time and in fact this performance from anthony perkins as norman bates is my favorite performance of all time it is one of the reasons that i wanted and want to be an actor there is very rarely that you get a person that can create a character so well that it fully immerses you into something where you're watching something and you forget you're watching a film it it, it makes a, it takes a few a real talent a real understanding of acting to be able to do that and anthony perkins does that in this everybody does an absolutely incredible job in this film and as i said so many people in it play against type but anthony perkins isn't a big tough guy he's just some dorky guy who unfortunately He's lost the plot and he's now going around and just killing people when he feels threatened or feels like he has when he has to. It is absolutely insane to me that all that time ago we had somebody that was doing that that was making a a real person in a film like this when he could have just read lines and that is something he doesn't. And as I said, it's all about the subtleties, and I absolutely love him for it this this film is very important to me because of that on so many levels but it isn't just norman bates it isn't just anthony perkins in the film because then you start looking at it from a filmmaker's perspective and as i said with me wanting to be a filmmaker as well like i've already mentioned this scene by scene shot for shot is absolutely beautiful it is stunning the lighting is incredible it, it just looks the shot the, the you know the ways the camera moves the the way the camera just doesn't move when it doesn't need to it is absolutely phenomenal it is masterful filmmaking at the top level this is why alfred hitchcock is you know is a name that everyone at home knows and and hopefully he continues to know for the future i hope that psycho and all of these other films are films that people are going to go back and watch over time for the rest of time to really truly understand how important they were at the time but how important they are now psycho is one of those films that they should be showing in filmmaking classes and acting classes because you get everything you need from this film this is literally it this is the film that if you want to be an actor you want to be a filmmaker you just need to watch Psycho and that is literally it. You will learn what you need to know from this film. And that is how important it is. And that is why it is on so many lists of best films that have ever been made and show it should be. So on a personal level, you can really see how this film has had such a profound impact on me. It's just absolutely insane that how much they managed to fit into this film into one film that changed cinema and I, I don't say that lightly this film changed cinema if we didn't have this film we wouldn't have cinema as we know it something else would have come out sure that changed everything but not like this not in the way not in the manner not like this this film as I say, is is a masterclass. It gives you everything that you need. And what I love about this film as well is that it has impacted me, not just personally, but also 
how I look at films when I'm watching them. Like this is the blueprint. This is the standard. Every time I watch a film from now on, this is psycho is one of those films where you go, that's the standard. If you ever watch a film and it gets to things like psycho level, you know, you're watching one of the greatest films of all time. It's like when you watch something like the shining or the thing or the exorcist, they are the top level films they are the top level horror films so if you ever get a chance to watch something like that it's it's polarizing it's mesmerizing it is an experience that you feel like that you're not going to get so if you ever get a chance to watch a film modern day like that they're the examples that have already been set that you sort of go off and as i said psycho is one of those films for me it is beyond important it is incredible and every aspect of it is what makes it work you've got an incredibly dedicated and risk taking and let i mean there's no way that you can stress risk taking any more than alfred hitchcock you've got an incredible score and like i've already mentioned some of the most perfect performances that you can get on film when you put all of this together you get psycho a film that has stood the test of time will always stand the test of time and deservedly so because i mean look at it it's just it's a stunning film with everything going for it and i can't believe that i'm sitting here now in 2022 talking about a film from the 60s and going is there much better than this so there you have it there is my fully in-depth personal opinion and thoughts on psycho as usual you've got a full run through the film you've got production info so i really hope you enjoyed that you know learning a little bit more about how psycho came to be in fairness you might all know it and i've just talked to you fucking shit for no reason and you also get a few facts as well not loads but just enough but look psycho is one of those films that if you haven't seen it i mean you can tell by the way i talk about it it's important this film's a big deal you need to go and see it it's so important to cinema so important to horror it is an integral film it is part of history and i i really really honestly do not recommend it enough for everyone to go and spend their time fully immerse themselves in watching this film this is one of those films as well i would recommend watching on your own so there's no distractions whatsoever you can sit there as i say immerse yourself into the fucking mentalness of this film and then when you've finished let me know how you feel about it let me know what you think about it whether you drop it on instagram twitter or anything let me know what you think about psycho did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it i want to know what you didn't like about it i want to know what you did like about it you know everything that i like about it and there's a lot right there's a lot i love this film i cannot that is not an understatement. i literally i love this film i could watch it over and over and over again it is such a great film because every single aspect of it is perfect as simple as that so go and watch psycho get on with it go on do it now go and watch psycho if you haven't you haven't lived so with this being a solo episode obviously they're always going to be a little bit shorter but also compared to everything that i've done recently and had guests on you know they are all very long episodes but i'm never going to overstay my welcome i will only keep the episodes going for as long as they need to be if they need to be four hours long they'll be four hours long but if they don't need to be then they don't need to be but what that does mean is that unlike some of the really long episodes i can add in one of my favorite segments that i do on the show and i know you all love it as well so i get to do your first time it's been a while since i've done it well, when I say a while, like two episodes, <laughs> but basically your first time, if you don't know, and if this is your first listen to a podcast, your first time is a segment where 
I ask all of you amazing horror fans about your first experience that you can remember watching a horror movie. Now, I love this segment, not because I just have something to put into the podcast that's extra. I don't give a fuck about that. I absolutely love hearing your stories. I mean, this is called Let's Talk Horror for a reason, because that's what I do. I talk about horror, but it's not just me talking. I want to hear what you have to say about it as well. And in this segment, I get that. I get to hear and see and read all of your amazing first horror experiences and it just fills me with joy and what i hope is that when you're writing them and everything you are filled with the nostalgia and joy that you had uh, you know that you can remember your first experience with a horror film and hopefully it's not absolute fucking blunt trauma and it was a bad time hopefully it's all good memories if it's bad memories i apologize i'm sorry but Loads of you obviously send me those over. So let's get into it. Let's do a couple of those for you. So the first one that I've got for you has been sent over to me on Twitter. Yes, I have Twitter. We've got Twitter for the channel. Sort of figured out how to use it enough so I understand how to get messages so I can read these for you. So this one, as I say, from Twitter is at Diabolical Pod. Diabolical Evil Schemes Done Better. Four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes and compete to improve them. How fun does that sound? So make sure that you get over to Twitter, follow them, and then you can find out where to listen to that super fucking fun-sounding pod. Go and enjoy it. But they've sent over to me their first horror memory that they can remember. A Nightmare on Elm Street, specifically the scene where Tina is dragged through the school hallway in a body bag. I didn't stop thinking about it for what felt like months afterwards. The concept is terrifying on a primal level and is executed brilliantly. I was 11 at the time. And look, you can't disagree with that, can you? The the episodes that we did before this one was the two-part specials for Halloween, all about the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So if you haven't listened to them, please go and listen. We had great fun. I had Scott, who was my guest uh, on both of those shows from the You Run podcast. They were great fun and they were they were twice as long as this episode. But once again, it had to be. We're not going to cut these things short because we, we think that people aren't going to listen. No, people will listen either way if they want to. But what I love about that, the point I'm trying to make really is is that no matter how many films there are, that scene is still a standout scene because it is terrifying. I mean, you just think that that film captures the nightmares so well because they're terrifying. That's exactly what nightmares are. They're terrifying things. And you just sit there and you think to yourself, imagine if you were asleep and that's the dream that you had, that a body was being dragged the way that it was through the through a school hallway. It doesn't matter who it is in it, it's terrifying. What an awful scene that is in a good way and a bad way. So, of course, it's a scene that they were always going to remember because it's one that's imprinted into all of our minds. As soon as you see it, from the first time you see it to every time you see it, it's fucking horrible. So a massive, massive thank you to them sending that over to me on Twitter. Um, Please go and check out at Diabolical Pod on Twitter, as I said, and then you can find everything else they're doing. And for the second story that I got sent in, it came to me on Instagram from Skellington Fan. And I just have to stop there and say a massive thank you to Skellington Fan. Reason being is because they have reasonably recently sort of come into listening to the show and following the channel and and so on but what they have done since they they have done that has been absolutely insane when you get people that really enjoy what you do that's amazing and that's enough if somebody sends you a message and say you are creating something that i really enjoy how amazing is that and they have done that for me but not only are they doing that they're sharing this podcast on, they're sharing the YouTube channel, they're doing anything they can to spread awareness, which is exactly what I need 
from all of you, your help to do. And they are doing that. So Skellington fan, from me to you, put you in the episode to say thank you. But let's get on with the story that you sent me. And I really hope that I don't fuck it up for you. So I was watching Jaws with my sister and parents. They made us a bet that we would be basically scared shitless. So we're watching the movie, looking at each other, thinking how boring. But at the moment when you see Jaws for the first time, we both screamed and jumped on top of our couch. Our dad laughed and said, told you. But we both went, no, there's a rat. But the moment Jaws popped up, and a rat the size of a teenage cat ran across the floor and my sister and I were terrified. So it's safe to say that Jaws didn't scare us. <laughs> it's it, what a fun story, right? And and thank you so much for sending that over. And as I say, hopefully I read it right and, and haven't messed it up. But what a memory. And once again, it is another example of what I try and get from this segment. One I love reading them, listening to them, like I said. So when you are getting nostalgic about these memories, I'm getting nostalgic reading reading them because it brings me back to the time when I first saw these films that you were all talking about or when I first saw, you know, horror films in general. We, we do that. We don't forget horror, whether it's good or bad. But if you are a fan of horror, we treasure those memories. We love them because it set us on this path, this, what I always say, journey through horror. And uh, we couldn't be more grateful for those those memories. They stay with us. And I, I love it. And I love this story. And I love the other story that I read. So thank you so much to Skeleton Fan and Diabolical, uh, at Diabolical Pod on Twitter check them both out, make sure you follow them and everything they do, go and support like they support me by sending me in their messages. If you would like to be in a podcast episode, doesn't matter when, just send them in and send over your first time experiences in detail like these ones and I can add them into an episode. And also I get the enjoyment out of reading them because as I say, it's so much fun. I mean, look how much fun that was just to read them and I hope you really had enjoyment hearing them. But yeah, send them over to me. Doesn't matter where, Twitter, Instagram. Can you do it on TikTok? I don't even know. Do a video about it. I don't know. But send them over to me and I'll add them into the show. So there we have it. We did it. Another episode is in the bag. A solo episode. We've gone old school, back to the roots, like I said at the start. I felt that this is the right time, the right film to do it. As I say, celebrating two years of this show going. And like I said at the start, this keeps going because of you. You are all to blame for me. <laughs> You're all to blame for it. <laughs> You're all here with me. You're listening. You know how much I love doing this. You can hear in my podcast how much I love doing it, how passionate I am about this genre, about film. Just, it means the world to me that I started this two years ago. You know, I started this during dark times. Like so many of us, like so many people, all these creative people out there, we needed something. This is what my show did for me. It, it helped me through those dark days, those dark times. And now I'm here two years later, still doing it, still loving it. And I have so much more to come. And I genuinely mean that. I, I genuinely mean I have so much more to come. I have got some things that I really want to do for the YouTube channel to take this show next level. I really do. But, but for the meantime, I really need all of you to continue to share and show your support for the show. If you listen to this on Spotify, rate it, please. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, rate it and leave a review. Wherever you listen to it, rate it, review it, do whatever you can. Honestly, you have no idea how important it and how much more that helps the show reach new audiences. If something's, if you go to Amazon and something's got a shit review, you don't buy it. If something's got an amazing review, you're more likely to buy it. And that's exactly what you rating and reviewing the show is. So it please go and do that for me. And then that way I can hopefully 
the, the show will grow and it will reach those audiences that I know that it can and it should be. And it's not just the rating and reviews. It's about everything else you can help to share on the show. When you're on Twitter, you can retweet all the things that I'm doing to help on Instagram, which as usual is always going to be the main source for information for the show. You can, if you see a post, you can share it. If it's about the YouTube channel or anything, or if it's about the podcast, just share it on I will always need your help with this. I can only do so much. I can sit here, I can record, I can do my Instagram lives, which I absolutely love doing. I can share the show on myself, I can post about it, but everything else that helps the show grow is because the awareness that you will help spread for the show. So I'm not gonna say too much more in it because I do, but unfortunately, this is how we have to do it. We can only do so much you amazing horror fans you amazing uh, incredible people that choose and that's what you're doing choose to listen to my annoying voice go on and on and on about these films and films that you love or just the topics of horror that i talk about that you listen to you're all incredible you're amazing and everything you do for the show even listening is incredible so a massive massive thank you Make sure you do go and subscribe on the YouTube channel as well. As I said, I've got a lot of really amazing things coming up, hopefully for that at some point down the line. It's a really big thing and a really amazing thing. And I think it will be incredible. But like everything, especially if you want to do it right, it takes planning. So is it going to be next week or the week after that or a month away? No. But when it happens, I genuinely think you're going to love it as much as if you do this show it's going to be a next evolution for this channel so thank you so much for sticking with me for this two-year anniversary episode which is mental last month you had the specials as i said about nightmare on elm street two of them for the first time ever for the spooky season of halloween and then we're straight into the two-year special episode what's next oh fucking christmas <laughs> let's see what we can do for christmas eh but look Thank you so much. I love all of you for listening, for doing everything you can for the show. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've gone old school. I've done a solo episode and I will continue to do these episodes. It's just finding that next film that I think has such, has such an impact on me on a personal level that I think that I can talk about it. And I don't bore my guests talking fucking for hours about it. All I can do as usual is say thank you and stay creepy.